Welcome back to, oh, you know, I hit this dial and I don't actually know what it does, so I'm going to put it back where it was. Welcome back to the City on the Edge podcast where we tell the stories of Albuquerque, New Mexico. I am Ty Bannerman. Uh, joining me is... Nora Hickey. Mike Smith. And... Ryan Swanson. Ryan Swanson. That's right. Our special guest today is um, Ryan Swanson, a professor of history at UNM Honors College. Author of the book, When Baseball Went White. Uh, he is currently working on a book about Teddy Roosevelt and the rise of sports culture in the United States. Uh, and the reason you're joining us today is because this episode is all about baseball. Because it's uh, springtime in Albuquerque. And um, I'm not sure. Are the isotopes actually playing at this point? Yeah, they, they are playing. They've yeah. started. Clearly, we're a great fit for this because we're all <laughs> big jocks. <laughs> but we're going to talk about the history of baseball in Albuquerque. We're going to talk about the Browns, the Maroons, the Grays, the Dukes, um, the Isotopes as well. Uh, we're going to be getting that in just a few minutes. We're also, uh, before we get into that, we're going to talk about whatever happened to inhabitants of Burke. Oh. Uh, if, you, uh, if you follow Albuquerque's social media presence. Um then you will know all about inhabitants of Berkeley. I'm used to seeing those nice photos on my timeline. <laughs> Lightning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what happened? So, so we're going to talk about that. Nice-ish. And then, yeah. uh, but before we uh, we get into everything proper, we have a special treat for everyone. It's a short one-act play about a chance meeting between two strangers at a local coffee shop. So let's go ahead and go into that. Hey, Nora. I'm not Nora. I'm just a random person hanging out at this coffee shop. Oh, okay. Well, it looks like you're deep in thought. I am, Ty. I'm busy thinking about how awesome it would be if the City on the Edge podcast were 100% listener-supported. Well, good news, person. I happen to be one of the hosts of City on the Edge, and I can tell you that our podcast is 100% listener-supported. Thanks to our Patreon donors, we are able to continue to tell amazing, weird, funny, awful, creepy, and fascinating stories about Albuquerque, New Mexico. Since I'm a random person, unaffiliated with the podcast, I didn't know that. How can I help support the awesome work you guys do? Well, it's easy, coffee shop lady. Just log on to the internet, go to patreon.com slash edge, and choose a funding level that you'd like to commit to. There are also a bunch of perks, including t-shirts, on-air thank yous, and other incredible swag. Wow! I'm just some random person at a coffee shop, but I really believe in what you're doing. I'm going to pledge right now. Fantastic! What a beautiful... 
beautiful story that was. <laughs> yeah. So that was real? That was like a documentary clip? That was, yeah, that was just uh, something we happened to catch on our <laughs> microphone. <laughs> How, well, I guess luck. I was one of the people talking on it, so, you know, I was there. But oh, I, yeah. uh, I wonder, what did you ever find out more about that <laughs> random person? She sounded pretty cool. I don't know. She sounded really <laughs> great. Um but uh, you know she she needs to uh, she needs to donate a lot of money as as do lots of people. <laughs> By the way, you can you can donate as as little as a dollar, or as much as uh, I don't know a billion dollars. But we we are here in fact to uh, to to talk about yeah. uh, to talk about baseball. But first, yeah, we got to talk a about inhabitants of Berkeley. And I, I actually want to talk. Um, news. I want to talk to so Ryan. <laughs> yes, you're a you're a fairly new arrival in Albuquerque. That's um, right. You're from That's Washington right. D.C. Yeah, or most recently. We call that a real city. Four, four years. <laughs> that's, that's pretty right. good. He's yeah, been here a little yeah, bit. A little yeah. while. But uh, are, you fa- you, so are you familiar with this inhabitants of Berkeley? Not, not that much. I need a little, uh, like I said, I know baseball pretty well, Albuquerque a little bit. So uh, I'm looking forward to learning. Unfortunately, there's no need for you to ever learn about this stuff now. But for a little while, it was a super annoying point of contention for a lot of people. This guy started this page. And I think it started out benign enough. It yeah. was just like memes about living in Albuquerque, you know, like if you know what one of these are, a picture of a goat head, you live here or whatever. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> you know, stuff like that, whatever. Some cool photos, yeah. I think, photographs of people. and. But the guy who ran it, it just. Was, wait, we should talk about it. It's modeled on inhabitants oh, of yeah, New York. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. By, on humans of New York, yeah. yeah. Oh, humans of New York. Yeah, humans yeah, of yeah, New York, right. which is a fantastic uh, yeah. feat. I think it's, mm-hmm. it does a pretty good job of representing people and right. it's really evolved Do you know yeah, that yeah feed, i have know? seen that yeah yeah, yeah. and uh, you know pictures of people spotted around new york city right. and and little bits of information about them and it's really grown to have more information i haven't seen much on it lately but I, but uh it's active on instagram is it really okay. yeah oh. well Facebook anyway so this guy kind of started it off as like that although i've also seen stuff that said it kind of started off as a fashion blog <laughs> it was kind of so whatever <laughs> muddy yeah. origins fashion in albuquerque that's <laughs> yeah Totally a sustainable business. For whatever reason, it caught on. It caught people's fancy and was pretty ubiquitous for a little while, especially like on in the social media presence for Albuquerque. And but it it was it was trying to walk this weird line where it was apolitical about stuff that was really important to people. And you just can't like be neutral about like should protesters be shot? And, you know, like, <laughs> well he okay would, he would cover the protests you know, like, and things. It wasn't like he was staying away from it. Well, and he was, and this was the thing that got me really involved in it and got me really angry is because he was writing about the protests for the James Boyd shooting, okay. and he was re- really misrepresenting the protesters. But because he had tens of thousands of followers on Facebook, this stuff was getting picked up and it was getting repeated in the, first the Journal and then the Time, New York Times, and Al Jazeera and the. BBC and it was just like going from here and so like he would see like protesters who had a lot of energy and were justifiably angry about like police abuses and serious stuff swinging from signs and he'd say he'd caption the photo protesters swinging uh, tearing down a sign you know or, or, or you know he'd call them rioters and stuff like that and it was just really like inciting things and kind of trying to play both sides and I was getting pretty mad about that there was also a lot of issue with him stealing content and just taking other people's photos mm-hmm. and putting an inhabitants of Burke watermark on it and stuff and uh, and quite a few other things. You know, well, he he was uh, kind of creepy, right? He was super creepy. There yeah. were tons of women in town right? who I were heard like, rumors "Man, of he creepiness. sure wanted to profile our dance troupe or whatever." <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I heard so much damning stuff because I was I decided I was going to write a big article for the Alibi about this guy because I was sick of seeing all these puff pieces about this guy that was like really I felt like was misrepresenting the city 
And um, let's see if we can do this whole thing without saying his name. This is fun. <laughs> 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 that's what I was just going to ask. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I think that's a good idea. Yeah. Let's just not say his yeah, name. Yeah, yeah, He's probably got like this a person. Google like, search bot or it's something. Colin Mc... You know? Colin He's a fame addict. <laughs> yeah. Total fame addict. That'll make sense. Yeah. So, um, That'll make sense. So anyway, so I started writing this article, and he, uh, because I had made a Facebook query, oh, here was the final straw. He did this video to that song, Happy, from Pharrell. Do you know that song? Because yes. I'm happy and yeah. annoying and whatever. And, um, and uh, he did it, but he did it with homeless people in the winter dancing. And it just seemed like oh, the I most demeaning, one. exploitative <laughs> thing. And I was like, this is so, like, these people aren't happy. This isn't doing anything positive. Like, this is like making monkeys dance, basically, you know, for people's amusement. I'm not calling homeless people monkeys. I'm saying it's a demeaning thing that he was doing. It, it was, was really performative for his benefit. It, it I was, assume he it, wasn't giving, sharing profits. Yeah, I doubt he was giving each one 20 bucks or something because there were tons of them in, yeah. the, in the films. And it was like, I've seen those people. They're not happy. This is sad. This is just, and, and the overall effect was sad. So I shared that on Facebook, and because I shared it, he saw it and he turned it into this like media sensation f thing where he went to KRQE and claimed the alibi was persecuting him because of this wonderful video that he made was just trying to make people happy. And I was, my Facebook wall was quoted on KRQE 13, like as a representative for the alibi. And then he went to the alibi and oh, he yeah. threatened our, the then publisher who immediately yielded. If you're listening now, I was not impressed. <laughs> and uh, who immediately yielded and killed the story. And I was and I had offers from other places to do it. But as I was doing all these interviews, it just became this like incredibly negative, toxic thing. And I was arguing with him by email all the time. He was like calling me up all outraged and oh. stuff. And I was finding out all this stuff that I wanted to put in there. They're like, I'm not even going to mention here because I don't want to get like sued for slander or libel because everybody was just like, this guy is the worst. And here's this and here's this. And then he went to a. Uh, to uh, Japan and put the New Mexico flag on an atomic bomb memorial at Nagasaki, I think it was. And like, just like, it was like, what, dude, we made that bomb that destroyed their city. What are you thinking? Just a clueless dolt. Anyway, yeah. we're talking about this now. <laughs> I had let this go into the past and let it reside. I really just want to have nothing but love in my heart for people. This and is this your two minutes of hate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I really am working on this. I'm a hypocrite, but I but I really like would like to just be a positive person and 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 accept people for Cleanse who they are and where they come from. System. Seriously, speaking of which, so apparently every th negative thing that anybody ever said about this guy and his his uh, his site turned out to be true because now he inhabitants left, he left of Berkeley. He left, he left here. He turned Continu it over to someone else briefly. How many years ago? Like two like years ago. Maybe two years, two years right? ago. Continued to run the yeah. site and have some How long was Burke the site going? Uh, a few years. I a few like years. Yeah. Since okay. like 2010. That sounds about right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, and it got, it just was p kind of pathetic. It yeah. was, it, it was kind of. 60,000 followers. It, yeah, now it has 90,000. Yeah, significant yeah. for Albuquerque. Wow. And it had 50,000 um, probably during its heyday. Like he was, he got a grant from the city. He, he had did. an he office. We got a grant from the city. An office Staying funded by, uh, by, the, yeah. by Albuquerque. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, apparently he just went and sold, changed the name of the page to Health and Beauty. And so now all these people, Health Plus Beauty. So now all the people that invested in this site because they wanted to see Albuquerque information or memes or photos or whatever, um, they are now subscribers to this like colon cleansing health page <laughs> that some place in New York probably paid him cash for. I don't know if they paid a former, if this is his new venture, <laughs> colon cleansings or something, uh, and he's running yeah, it himself. He I, don't, could be re I don't know the information on it, but I just think, oh my gosh. What's like, it called? Uh, health Plus Beauty. It was, if you look up Inhabitants of Berkeley on Facebook, it still it goes right to that. Oh, that's funny. 
And it's funny because he left up the old photos from the stuff. So if you scroll down far enough, it's all about green chili suddenly. It relates to colons, right? Yeah. Oh, man. So weird. You know, good riddance is what I so say. He, oh, yeah. he so yeah. yeah. he changed it to health and beauty yeah. and heavily advertised colon cleansing products. Yeah. So anyway. So just weirdsville. But it, those of you local people here who have kind of watched with a bit of schadenfreude as this guy has fumbled his way through misrepresenting us might might uh, get a little bit of enjoyment out of <laughs> very yeah, gross end. because when you go on it, it still says all your Albuquerque yeah. friends like this yeah. page. I have 224 friends that let mutual friends with, with that yeah. page. 90,706 oh, people man. like it. Unsubscribe people. Beauty. So unsubscribe. You yeah. were this exploited. is the same one? This is the health and beauty Albuquerque page? Wow. Also, he was frequently like kind of racist and sexist. With yeah, there was posts. always was a lot of... You know, I it was just a. I think it's funny because you had such a like feud with this guy. Yeah. I remember you talking about him like his his uh, henchman. Oh yeah, pushing had, you up against a oh, wall and. Oh man, and he showed yeah, he's gonna come down and, and fight yeah. you today. Oh, like, and, come on, and this just, other local and a local artist named Bradford Erickson has really been targeted by them as well. Yeah, his his friend. And one time I was at Burt's for one of Morrow's shows, Burt's Tiki Lounge, rest in peace, original location. Um, and uh, Leo came in. His henchman, his goon, was there and ca- and texted Leo. Or oh shoot, I said his name. We were trying not to say his name. Okay, <laughs> texted this guy and um, and uh, that I was there. And so he showed up wanting to fight me. But I had had like a few beers at that point, and I was in like a jolly mood, and I thought it was hilarious. And so I was just like sitting in the corner, just like you want a what? <laughs> you know, like, oh come on, let's take it outside. You know? And I'm like, huh. give me a yeah. break, man. What are you talking about? I don't fight anybody. Look at me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like a freaking marionette. We don't, we don't fight people because we would just die. Like, <laughs> we just get murdered completely. All yeah, right. Anyway, anyway that's, enough, that's enough negative end nonsense. of uh, Inhabitants of Berkeley. Yeah. Yeah. Few Good more riddance. it's passing. Glad you're gone. Let's talk about some baseball. Follow City on the Edge instead. Ty runs a great Facebook page. Well, thank yes. you. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. All right. No, I don't know. Yeah. I'm, I'm working on it. Oh, you do a good job, man. You um, find so much cool stuff. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. So I want to go back, guys, to uh, 1882, All June right. 14th, 1882. Albuquerque, uh, the new town, has only been founded one year before. Were you aware, Ryan, that uh, uh, Newtown Albuquerque and Old Town Albuquerque are two different places, two different I towns? was not. I was not aware of that. Yeah, so the official line is that Albuquerque was founded in 1706, right. but that's Old Town Albuquerque. Right. Newtown Albuquerque, which is where we're sitting as we speak at the historic uh, press club, um, was founded in 1881 as a separate town huh. entirely uh, with the coming of the railroad. And it wasn't until like the 40s that Newtown and Old Town were officially united. Okay, okay. um, Yeah, and uh, it was, you might well be aware that uh, Albuquerque was originally spelled with an R, an extra R. It was Albuquerque. Yeah, right, 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 yeah. Um, Newtown, Albuquerque never had that R, and it was kind of, you know, I, I feel like, you were talking uh, before we started yeah. po- uh, recording about a tension between New Mexico wanting to be, you know, kind of traditional uh-huh. and yet also wanting to, like, enter, like, the modern world and be part of all the right. stuff that's going on. Yeah. Uh, Newtown, Albuquerque, and Old Town, Albuquerque very much embodied that tension, right? So mm-hmm. Newtown, Albuquerque was, no, we're not going to spell it right. We're not, we're not going to say it right. It's Albuquerque, Albuquerque. And, and we're just going <laughs> to say easier. it however we want. Yeah. Right. yeah. So anyway, 1882, uh, Newtown, Albuquerque has only been founded one year before. 
uh, the entire uh, area of old of a down what we call downtown now is uh, filled with construction buildings going up, but also a lot of like tents just selling uh, selling booze out of holes in the ground and stuff like this to keep it cool. Wow. Um, and here is a story that appears in the Albuquerque Journal. The Baseball Association met last night, the president in the chair and most of the members present. It was decided to have the secretary write some firm dealing in baseball outfits and inquire the prices of balls and bats, toe plates, masks, caps, gloves, etc. The name decided on was the Albuquerque Browns. This, hmm. Their practice day is Thursday. Joe Langan and Jay Walton are authorized to collect for the buying of the suits in the old and new towns respectively. The secretary was instructed not to accept challenges until authorized. And as far as I can tell, and I certainly accept that I might be wrong, that is the beginning of, of baseball in Albuquerque wow. right there. So Well, officially. Officially, right? yeah. In, right. in the yeah. press. As far as a like, league. Like, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, 1882, is that what you said? 1882. Now, yeah. I've seen other references saying it started in 1880, and I don't mm. know if that's a... An estimation or if there's a source that i haven't found hmm. um but the fact that that this organization met and decided on their name and decided to buy you know the accoutrement hmm. yeah yeah says to me that there wasn't much going on prior to this right. at any rate um so it was founded the uh and they had to write away for somebody to sell them equipment, right? It was not yeah, here. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It okay. wasn't here. Well, and actually, right, right about that time yeah. is when Albert Spalding, Spalding, you know, the brand, if mm -hmm. you know Sporting yeah. Goods today, it's still around. I think it only makes golf balls or something like that. Um, Albert Spalding is starting his Sporting Goods empire right then in the 1880s, and so he's putting these catalogs out so wow. you can order a baseball or a bat. And most, most places don't order anything except for the ball. So they can make they can make do with hmm. you know caps and they can find something you know people aren't wearing gloves at that time a baseball bat can be a branch or something like that but it's really the ball <laughs> really the ball, ball is the hard the hard oh, thing to get it has to be right it's got to be wound spiritual. a certain way I mean there was uh, you know were they the, catching it in their hands they're catching it in their hands how? there's no gloves at this time oh Wouldn't my that god hurt like didn't they break their hands yeah all the yeah time? but the balls also became pretty misshapen after a couple uh, of innings they uh, weren't as uh, as hard okay. as they are today and actually one other random and and stop me. I can go on about baseball no, random stuff all the great. time. Um, baseball at this time, you're not allowed to pitch in a deceptive way. <laughs> in a deceptive so way? It was gentlemanly. You huh. you delivered the ball in a way so that your competitor would have a good chance to hit it. Wow. So, so some, you're trying to get them to be able to hit it. Yeah, that's the, that's the idea. And it's kind of a strange British-esque kind of gentlemanly <laughs> thing. Wow. And so if you find some box scores from this time, and I'm not sure if you were able to find any from, from that far back, no. sometimes the scores will be... 100 to 70 or something, you know, so um, wow. really strange compared to today's baseball where it seems like you play forever and nothing happens right. yeah. um, and those kinds of things. So wow. When did that change? Were, they, uh, were that rule that you had to try to yeah. pitch straightforward? It's, it's being changed during that, that period, 1880s, uh -huh. 1890s, but hmm. it's not being enforced very well. And so if you hear, uh, even today, what do we call it? A pitch rather than a throw. So hmm. the rule at one point is you hmm. have to deliver it from below your waist then it kind of evolves, and then it's got to be Ooh. below your shoulder. And so by the time you're getting to the 1880s, 1890s, you can deliver it overhand hmm. with some deception. The curveball's invented in the 18, 1880s as well. Wow. Um, but so all these things we take for granted today are kind of coming along at this time. So what else uh, What else would have been different about baseball at this, at say, 1882, when, when, uh, when yeah. they're putting this team together in Albuquerque? So we've got 
um, the ball has to be pitched hmm. in a non-deceptive yeah. way. Yeah. Um, what else might have been different about about? So the no gloves, like I said, no gloves. <laughs> um, the worst position to play is is catcher behind the. <laughs> oh God! So if you know baseball a little bit, you know the person behind the plate is supposed to stop the ball. There's no there's no um, equipment, right? So uh, wow. bruising and you know um, broken fingers, broken fingers, think, right? broken you know eye socket. Uh, oh. So. Uh, oh. That's the worst. That's the worst position to play at that point. Um, Did so that's people different. die during the game? No, not, not too many. Okay. Not too many. But uh, a <laughs> lot of drinking, a lot of gambling, a lot of fighting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. So I mean, you're kind of countering. On one hand, it's supposed to be gentlemanly, but on the other hand, it gets competitive and rowdy. I'd say. I'd say the other um, big difference is. You know, even today we use the terms club and clubhouse. Okay. A lot of these baseball clubs are connected to fraternal oh. organizations. So maybe that's some of what you got going on with that 1880s. Well, I know it was it was formed by uh, the uh, the city editor of the Albuquerque yeah. Journal. Yeah. Who um, his name was W. T. McCrate. He was a, a native of Kentucky, huh. and he had come out in order to join the Albuquerque Journal okay. uh, from wherever he was living. But he had actually played baseball in whatever amounted to a major league at that point in St. Louis as uh, as part of the Browns. Right. Okay. Um, so I, I feel like I was trying to answer a question, but I've totally forgotten. No, tell us, tell us. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, yeah. anyway, so he was yeah. the, uh, the president of this organization. Um, so I, the baseball association is what they called it. And, uh, the rumor was that the reason they chose to call it the Browns also was that, he still had the jersey from St. Louis. Right. So he's okay. like, hey, that's one jersey <laughs> down. <laughs> right yeah. there. Who can blame him? Exactly. Perfect. Yeah. And um, I found a quote from him from about those early games where he said that damsels with bustles mingled with tin horn gamblers who bet their last dimes on the Browns. Oh, <laughs> so all right. Gives huh. you, wow. You know, damsels an idea and gambling, huh? Yeah. I know that there were a number of uh, like kind of, I guess what you'd call exhibition games at that point. Yeah. It just seemed like some of the early articles about the Browns are, hey, the Browns want to play a baseball game. Does anybody right. want to come and play against them? Right, And right. so it would just be like whoever was, wow. you know, reading the paper that day would be like, yeah, I'll come play some baseball. Sure. And, yeah. You know, yeah. they would always be like, the Browns handled themselves very well. You know? <laughs> and would um, teams just is issue challenges to other teams, you know, and not yeah. in a set schedule? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's no there's no leagues at this point, and hmm. so these ideas of uh, often are called picked nines. Uh -huh. So, which basically means the free for all. Yeah, we want a game. Somebody come play versus us, and then even once you get to the ball field, they would kind of resplit the teams. It was really popular at this time to have a married nine versus a single nine. <laughs> so you'd get the men on the field, and that was a convenient way, I suppose, to split oh, them up. Funny. Um, really? Yeah. So like shirts versus skins. I, I guess so, but instead, <laughs> so uh, are you married or not? <laughs> wow. Okay. That's yeah. Interesting. And maybe I don't know. Maybe that has something to say about you know the communities people are a part of, or those mm. were those were important divisions then. I um, kind of. But I can see it. See it. I, I, I feel like uh, you know once. If, if you're a married person, don't you kind of almost <laughs> right. feel like you're a, a little bit alien to all your single friends? Like, sure, just yeah. Just to know yeah. your own how club. to interact. The respectables versus the ne'er-do-wells. <laughs> yeah. And then once children get involved, you're just like, yeah, right. I'd invite yeah. you to come hang right. out because we like you, but you don't have kids, and you're just going to be terrified by what goes on on a yeah. daily basis. Yeah. Um, so I can see that there would be like some division there. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm, I'm betting on the singles, you know, if it's me. That's but yeah, um, honestly, yeah. you know. they've yet to die inside. Right. But yeah. Then again, the, the, the marrieds <laughs> are going to have that desperate right. edge oh, of true. like, oh, God, oh. please, I, I'm still relevant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Huh. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so, Nora, I know that you, you said yeah. that you had done some uh, oh, yeah. looking into one of their first games. One of their first games was against, and I also found like out that... Like against another team, Against another I guess. team, yeah. yeah. I, I read that they played against teams that were along the railroad, you know, not okay. too far okay. off. Huh. Um, and so one important game was in 1885. Okay. So they'd been playing for three years. Yeah, three years, yeah. 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 Um, and it was the team, the El Paso Blues. Right. So they challenged Albuquerque um, for a three-series game. A three-series game. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and according to this uh, book, Baseball in Albuquerque by Gary, Gary Heron. Heron, yes. Yep. Uh, the prize was a silver cup that cost $25, and it was made in New wow. York City. Wow. Um, New York City. And so the Browns were the underdogs. But on the July 4th opener, they ended up beating the Blues 17-7. to 7. Okay. Wow. And then, again, they beat them the next day 20-16. to 16. What year was this again? Okay. 1885. Wow. Yeah. So, so there you see some of those scores, the 20-16 to 16 and the football-sounding kind of scores. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. It was really common, too, during this time that the winning team would take the ball. And so, literally, they you won the game, you get the ball because again, the ball baseballs we were expensive, one ball for and so the whole well, territory. yeah, so you're taking it with you, and it's kind of your prize. And they would mark the score on you know, twenty to sixteen, and then you take it with it, you as kind of a I don't know, useful, usable trophy or something. That's cool. And so these players didn't make any money except unless they won no. gambling or no, yeah, there was no. I would doubt that these are are are, are professional. Although it's possible if the paper the newspaper is behind the club at this point that they're kind of a you work for us but we'll give you time off to play Hmm. you know so there's kind of that semi-pro kind of thing but certainly they're gambling probably on the game so there's some of that going on it certainly seemed from from what i was able to gather pretty casual pretty casual you know i I doubt there was much money uh changing hands it it seemed like they would just kind of throw together games whenever they could yeah kind of thing well and that reminds me of if we can go to a different part of the state that Ryan has studied, um, yeah. the hmm. Copper League. Yeah. Because I think I read in yeah. your article that... So this is about the same time. Yeah. Um, Mo- moving forward a little bit, yeah. you okay. know, into okay. the turn of the century. Hmm. All right. 20th century, so yeah. 1900. Yeah. About, and uh, this is part of the, the mining town That's boom right. in, in New Mexico. Hmm. So w- what's going on with the yeah. that so and baseball? Turn of the century, you know, in the, into the, well, you know, about the time of statehood coming mm-hmm. along, uh, the Copper League springs up in the southwest and it's as you as you su- uh, suspect from the name the copper mining towns put together baseball clubs oftentimes supported by the mining companies interesting and it becomes a pretty popular circuit um at this time so pretty uh, pretty well attended games you're starting these are starting to become somewhat professional these guys are making mm-hmm. a little bit of money off of this uh and the teams from albuquerque incidentally um are in and out of the copper league they're very hesitant to play against the cities that they think are beneath them oh, so okay. they don't want farmington for example they don't want to play there's a club oh, in farmington well, we don't mess with farmington <laughs> right right whatever uh so i mean you know as you d- it's it's el paso you know el paso they're kind of our equal at this time and so that makes sense you yeah, know so they play against team. el paso um but I, my favorite thing about the Copper League is the fact that basically they're, they really take pride in the fact that these are high-quality ballplayers, but they don't play by the same rules hmm. uh, as the rest of the country. So okay. they, don't, they don't care about open gambling particularly. Uh, hmm. There's no pretenses about these being gentlemen who are playing. And How funny. probably most famously, uh, as the Copper League kind of gets developed, 
they begin accepting players that are banned from playing elsewhere in the country. Oh, okay. So kind of the okay. case if you if you can't play anywhere else, nobody else will take you. Um, the Copper League will take you. <laughs> wow. There's, there's always New Mexico. Yeah. I feel like that's <laughs> so, so New Mexico. You know, kind of. And it is kind of New Mexico a little bit. Interesting. Yeah, so these weren't just minors that were playing. They were no. people that the miners were betting. They were ringers. Yeah. They were well, ringers. I think that's a good way to say it. They're yeah. ringers. So some huh. of them are miners playing for the for the company teams, but they bring in these ringers. And so, you know, a little little bit of baseball, you know, trivia, I suppose. Uh, in 1919, the White Sox throw the World Series. So mm-hmm. they, they're they favored. The Chicago Satan White Sox. So Joe. Exactly. Yeah, Satan and Joe. Joe. So they're favored, um, but they're not getting paid very well by their stingy owner. Mm-hmm. So they uh, collude to, you know, um, work with gamblers to throw the World Series. And so wow. they lose Crazy. to the Cincinnati Reds at the time. And, you know, as this transpires after the fact, they get kicked out of baseball by the commissioner, who basically bans them all from ever playing organized baseball ever again. Whoa. Um, and he goes so far as to say they're not supposed to play anywhere. Um, uh-huh. But so what happens? Where do they go? <laughs> um, New Mexico. New Mexico, really? Um, so the Copper League becomes home to a couple of the Chicago Black Sox, as mm-hmm. they're known after the fact. So mm-hmm. Buck Weaver, who is played by... Oh, I'm drawing a blank on the on the uh, the actor now in who's the movie, in yeah. the movie um, um, the most famous it? one uh, John Cusack hmm. uh, is is play uh, so he comes out to New Mexico and plays for a while uh, Chick Gandell who orchestrated the whole scandal comes out and oh. plays in New Mexico wow. for a while wow. we're like we don't uh, care yeah we yeah. don't care we're yeah. good yeah. welcome so it was real rough and tumble at that supposedly point. shoeless Joe Jackson the the say it ain't so Joe uh, hmm. negotiates with a copper league team but eventually can't get enough money so he mm. does not ah, come to new okay. mexico so okay yeah kind of this illicit uh, uh professional what? league so no it's driving me crazy what is the name of the movie that john cusack plays eight in men that? out okay eight eight, men out. what eight am i out. thinking i'm thinking of the one with uh kevin costner field of dreams oh field of dreams field of dreams right i guess is what <laughs> i'm <laughs> thinking of so yeah, yeah. That, that's a that's a that's, that's shoeless joke that's right that. right okay. right yeah <laughs> i was just talking about field of dreams the other day whether it's a uh, I think it's a good baseball movie because it kind of takes on some of these myths and oh, Iowa and all these things. Um, but I know some people hate it too. Yeah. My I, wife, for one, hates it. Oh, it was probably my first like experience of a kind of a magical realism, yeah, yeah. sort of connected yeah. style. I tend anyway. to like movies based on J.D. Salinger. Anytime like the yeah. character is borrowed from that, I'm like, <laughs> it's interesting to watch this like one weird recluse get turned into all these different, right, different aspects. Yeah. Did uh, Hagen have a baseball team? Oh, uh, you know, I was just thinking about that, the mining town of Hagen. I don't know that it did. I know okay. the Madrid did. So Madrid, right. Madrid did. Yeah. yeah. What and were they called? Their field is still there. They're they're the Madrid miners. The Madrid miners. Yeah. Yeah. You can see their That's baseball nice. field. Yeah. I got my dad an old print of the a photo of their team from the 20s once, and they look cool. They yeah. Look, they look like they had, a lot of them had uh, handlebar mustaches. Yeah. And, you know. They yeah. Just, like uh, th- but it's neat. their field is still there and it looks old. Like they can oh, really? film a period piece out there. Oh, yeah. E- easy, uh, yeah. Is well, it still used? I think so, but it probably by like they use it for weird little, things like, like the Madrid Blues Festival. Oh, yeah. oh okay. You know, it's, yeah. it's not um, yeah. or they're uh, they have like a weird Renaissance festival out there if you ever, which oh really? Yeah, I, huh. I went to a couple times as a kid and I was. I like it out there, but I don't like it since it's been Disneyfied. It's so Disney. well, sort of. It's Disney. They repainted the whole town and built fake buildings. Yeah, for but wild, they're still wild, wild hogs. That's yeah. what I was trying to think of what it was. Wild <laughs> hogs. That's right. Wild yeah. hogs. It's not. Yeah. The same. God, that's still yeah. a darkness there, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a cool town. I wonder yeah. if the stadium was built by federal money, because you probably or maybe yeah. Another thing you uncovered. Oh yeah, that's, yeah. that's something like we should talk about here. Is uh, federal yeah. federal money in yeah. the. Uh, 
in the early baseball in in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Right. So let's talk about that. Uh, we, yeah. We're about 1915 now, so that would be bringing us up to skip us forward 20 more years to okay. the to the Great Depression. Great Depression. Um, so Clyde Tingley, mm-hmm. right. governor of New Mexico, and. Uh, Quasi mayor of Albuquerque. Before right, that, yeah. he was right. never actually mayor. Is that right? Okay, he was just called mayor. He mm-hmm. was a okay. city. He was like the Did head he have city power? commissioner. He had, he had a so lot of power. Much power. Okay. Yeah, but we didn't have a, a mayor position at that point, so oh. he was just like oh, a okay. commissioner. Yeah, um, who He's acted the reason like we're all sneezing lately. Oh like, uh, yeah, yeah, he brought uh, the other thing he did. What he do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he brought uh, uh, Siberian elms yeah. and, oh. and uh, ornamental wow. mulberries. So we blame him for this allergy. time of year. Huh? Damn, well, he would give them away trees. free with everybody who bought a house to plant really? one of these oh, trees, okay. which would grow like crazy in, yeah. in the arid southwest. Yeah. And uh, but it also they grow way too much like crazy. <laughs> and, yeah, and they're. Huh. Uh, they're forcing the native species out of the um, uh. out of the Rio Grande uh, uh. bosque and that kind of thing. So anyway, wow. yeah. Clyde Tingley, um, right? Yeah. So he um, so he's running his his little New Deal for New Mexico, basically, you know, in a way that New Mexico still knows, trying to bring as many federal dollars to the state as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he's able to convince somebody uh, in the federal government that you know, so he gets a contract with the Works Progress Administration, the WPA. Uh, in order to build a baseball stadium here for, I guess, the good of Albuquerque. Uh, sure. So he, you know, <laughs> why not? Uh, any stimulus is good stimulus during the Great Depression. So yeah, yeah. I think yeah. he gets about $90,000 um, to oh build, God. which is a good chunk of change yeah, at that time. You know? I looked up the, uh, by the way, I looked up the uh, $25 cup would have been worth about $600 in today's yeah. price. Oh, nice. That's, That's a win. Significant. Yeah. Yeah. That's nothing to sneeze yeah. at. There are some oh. big... Uh, Big prizes at the state fair for baseball too, hmm. but that's yeah. another another issue. Um, so he gets that money, ninety thousand dollars, and because there's a lot of labor around, he gets the stadium built in less less than a year, yeah. you know, six months or something. And I feel like this isn't often said about WPA projects necessarily. It turns out pretty well. Uh, it's a pretty nice little baseball stadium. Yeah. I think it seats about six, six, seven thousand. Nice. This is uh, a, what Tingley Coliseum would have been where the zoo, right about where the zoo is. Now. That's right. Is that right? Yeah, okay. and it's initially called. River, Riverfront Stadium or Rio right. Grande Stadium, something really you know banal. But then it's shifted over and named after Tingley, <laughs> right. of course. During the era, of, let's just name everything after. Let's Tingley. give him credit, <laughs> right? So, but it, it gets a stamp of approval. Maybe you could argue it's one of baseball's kind of high points in Albuquerque. Branch Rickey, who people may know as uh, signing Jackie Robinson years later, mm-hmm. uh, oh. travels to Albuquerque as the general manager of the St. Louis Cardinals, mm. the other professional team at the time, and he loves the stadium. And so mm. all this good press comes about Albuquerque being a haven for baseball and a great stadium. He immediately puts one of the St. Louis Cardinals minor league teams here in the city of Albuquerque. Cool. And so, unfortunately, I think it's like their D-level club oh. or something. Yeah. It's Which, not uh, what, what's that team called? I'm sorry, I can't remember uh, off the top. It's probably the Cardinals, okay, uh, the Albuquerque Cardinals. You know, sense, um, so yeah. it's a minor league club, but um, you keep the name of. Oftentimes, at that time, you do. Although now, minor league baseball is the best place for unique. Oh yeah, I know. Right. You know, I mean, it's it's cool. great looking. You know, so but yeah, so they opened in 1937. Maybe you could find the the name, and um, they play until World War II yep. gets serious. It's Albuquerque Cardinals. Cardinals, way, okay. Was, uh, Wow. So they play for the, you know, they take a break during war. Um, but then they come back and have a good run after that for a couple decades. Uh, and the ballpark holds up and 
and is uh, pretty successful all around. So it's a good yeah. professional what, baseball story. <laughs> where would that have been? Like, do you have any idea what part of town I that think might it have It would have been over by the, uh, the zoo. By the zoo, oh, by the zoo. yeah. Like, yeah. I think yeah. it's actually the big park across the street from the zoo is oh, where it would have been. Oh, I love that park. Wait, it's the yeah. one where there are What's There are ball fields still. Ball fields, oh, okay. yeah. yeah. I heard there that the that the home plate is still there. Uh, oh, really? I haven't been over to huh. to double oh, check on that, and I'm not sure why that's important. But I know if you in front of the present-day isotopes field. Yes. There's like that kind of lumpy baseball. <laughs> yes, that's uh, that part of from stadium, that yeah. Coliseum. Really? So they actually they uh. actually moved that. So that was uh. a part of the original Coliseum. I don't know uh. if it was originally built. Yeah. At the same time, but uh. it had been there for oh, okay. a while. That a it was time. sort of associated with. They could have probably left that. I mean, it's not very round. <laughs> it's but uh, nevertheless, it made the trip, huh? I I like it. <laughs> you, you like know? it? Well, okay. you know. I wonder I, how they moved it. I like yeah. I like lumpy, misshapen things. I don't know. There you go. You gotta wonder. I know did they have to? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that means, but I'm horribly insulted. Ouch. Um, ouch. Yeah, so they, uh, uh, I don't know. They, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm, now now I'm, I'm trying to figure out how I've been insulted. <laughs> yeah. things, yeah. but, okay. well. but so did the Albuquerque Cardinals just slow, does a team just cease to exist when it isn't working anymore? Or? Yeah. Um, well, so the minor leagues are still getting organized at that time. Yeah. Branch Rickey is creating this system of controlling labor, right? He's trying to figure out a way to you know, test out young ball players for a cheap price and figure out which ones he wants to bring up to the major leagues. Um, so within that kind of growth, he does it first with the Cardinals and then other clubs copy. There's a lot of movement among teams. So... Um, Albuquerque eventually loses the Cardinals as a club. Um, mm. The Dodgers affiliate comes in, uh, you know, in seventies, I think. Uh, uh, maybe yeah. you know more about the Dukes. I think the sixties. Something. Well, the Dukes is a weird team because they like uh, appear and disappear oh, okay. from nineteen fifteen oh, really? on. Yeah. Um, 1915 on? 1915. Wow. Yeah, oh, the wow. Dukes as a name is over a hundred years old mm. as of mm. now, but. Not as a continuous yeah. enterprise. I know in that they're way. coming out, coming out swinging, hustling all the way. But I didn't know, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know this. <laughs> That's most important. <laughs> well, before we get to the Dukes, we that should talk about the, the state fair thing that you yeah. mentioned because oh, yeah. I think that's an important part of Albuquerque uh, baseball. Um, yeah. So, so tell us what what's what's going on with that. So, and this is really actually what kind of uh-huh. kind of attracted me to this to this study, this story. Um, so I was looking through records newspaper records about the state fair trying to figure learn a little more about albuquerque in the southwest Hmm. uh and the state fair becomes this kind of catch-all hope for albuquerque and new mexico in the early 20th century that the idea that we're going to bring in visitors and show them Hmm. that we are both unique we're a tourist destination but we're also modern and you should come (laughs) here and maybe live too um and so two two sports are popular in the fair um the first being rodeo which makes sense in the west you know yep. so the rodeo competition is really big but then the baseball tournament begins early on in the 20th century and clubs come from all around new mexico to compete for the title of new mexico baseball champion um and money's on the line mm-hmm. uh, eventually there's a tide or a prize that's uh, you know i was trying to figure it out inflation wise about worth forty thousand dollars in today's wow. dollars so yeah. you know, yeah. suddenly it goes from let's get together nine players and play at the fair and represent you know wh- whatever your local or neighborhood t- or whatever. Right? <laughs> yeah. Suddenly it becomes more serious than that. And yeah. so um, during the teens and twenties at the state fair, you had uh, occasionally professional major league professional players coming and playing at the state fair. Rube Waddell, uh, who gets in the Hall of Fame, eventually comes and pitches and helps 
uh, a New Mexico team win that prize one year. That's so, cool. mm-hmm. uh, and again, I kind of see the state fair the way that baseball plays is we're New Mexico, green chili rodeo, but look at us, we're also American. We do baseball too, <laughs> uh, and so it kind of bounces back and forth between right. authentic and us, but also part of the country. Uh, mm-hmm. So, a uh, lot, a lot wow. of, a lot of cool stories out of the fair during those years. So, um, in the book A Boy's Albuquerque, which I know oh, I love that book. You're a big you fan love that of. book. <laughs> I have love you, that have book. you read it? I have not. Uh, it's uh, worth uh, seeking out. All right, I'm gonna go. It's, it's reminiscences, but you can yeah. feel the personality of the yeah. guy. You know, it's one early 20th really? century Albuquerqueans memoirs of that time. Oh, okay, it's great. It's I'll just get a really it. neat. Yeah. He talks about the first football team in there a bit too. Oh, so interesting. Wanna, mm. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, I can't remember the guy's name. Kenneth Balcom. Oh, I'm sorry. Cap- Kenneth Balcom is the guy, who, oh, the Kenneth author. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually have one good football story if we have time. Oh, okay. Uh, sure. The University of New Mexico's yeah. first football game. I was asked to do a little talk at UNM yeah. for homecoming, and they wanted me to talk about the great Lobos. Hmm. But what I found was the first game that they uh, competed was kind of, well, we won't make any modern connections, but um, they decided to take on the local high school, and they got whooped uh, by Albuquerque High in their first game. So it was a rough start for UNM. Then they took a year off and that came back and did it though. again. No. no. Can, we, can we mention? Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Not at so all. So Nora's uh, fiancé is uh, is one of the, the coaches of the, the Lobos, and, yeah. and his father is yeah. the current head coach. So. Yeah. And it's a great And we're season yeah. ticket holders. We I love it, you know, now. So that's why she said well, it wouldn't happen today. It would not. Yes. No, I didn't know his father was the current the head coach. Because the tight ends what? are very... Tight and nowhere to end. <laughs> and that's what he coached. She's uh, she's our closest thing to a jacket at, uh, yeah. at the table there normally. Um, but yeah. Yeah, so I love yeah. sports. There you I, go. I think you do actually. No, I really You'll actually do. watch them on TV of yeah. your own volition. And I love playing them. Um, yes. I just am missing a part of my brain that allows me to. I love reading like the history yeah, of things. You know? yeah. I'm like, wow, this yeah. is really exciting. But anyway, Kenneth Balcom. Yeah. Uh, who wrote about Albuquerque 1898 to 1912. That was the era that he was writing about. But he said that um, a team called the Greys was formed by Dan Padilla, who raised $15,000 just by going to saloons up and down Railroad Avenue, which is modern-day central, um, and saying, hey, we want to start another baseball team Mm. going on. So I just... Fifteen thousand cool. dollars in um, then wow. eighteen ninety eight yeah. to nineteen twelve wow. money. Yeah. Like this is not like I, mean, I, do I don't fundraising think in bars. I yeah, I'm like, is that know? what you, we should turn and, to and lie <laughs> about it being yeah. for baseball? Yeah. Um, <laughs> but still, that's like insane that it took him half a day to do it. And then uh, they said that during the uh, the territorial fair, uh, the team played every single day of the fair, which was. Um, all week long, so oh, they would wow. play these, uh, yeah. these games every That's single cool. day. So I wonder what their what their place was that they were playing. Like, like did they build bleachers or something, or was it just people uh, standing around cheering and some dusty patch? Or <laughs> a lot of a lot of early ballparks yeah. had a place for people to sit so hmm. that they could charge. But what they don't typically have is a fence of any sort oh, at any point around the bat, you know, around huh. the, the outfield or anywhere. So the ball could roll, <laughs> you know, and that's going. a home run. Um, yeah. It could also strike a spectator. Uh, so it's kind of oh kind of fair gosh. game. A wild experience. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. And I had a question because I know that you looked at race and baseball in some, the North, or I'm not sure. Yeah. (laughs) Well, post Civil War, you know, it's kind of all about the the Eastern portion and the North South. So do you know what the makeup was like of early Albuquerque teams or New Mexican teams? Yeah. No, I don't. Um, (laughs) But I would guess, uh, especially in the 1880s, um, baseball is strictly. strictly segregated 
in the eastern part of the country. Now, what would happen is, you know, even right after the Civil War was over, black and white teams would occasionally play against each other. But my guess would be that the game in Albuquerque was pretty lily white. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. If I that well, although, you know, it says uh, Dan Padilla was the one okay. who organized um, the so Grays anyway, anyway. Right? so yeah. presumably... Huh. I did find Hispanic. something um, about the Albuquerque Indian School and Indian Boarding okay. School, and they had a baseball team, and according to L.M. Sutter, the author of yeah. New Mexico Baseball, he says that um, the system of sports was considered an essential way to assimilate Native right. Americans into white society. Interesting. Yeah. Well, wow. this is during uh, the time of Jim Thorpe, who is kind of the most famous oh, yeah. example of that. Right. Uh, the Carlisle School in Pennsylvania, where they're bringing them in, taking them out of their traditional clothes, giving them haircuts, teaching them English, and teaching them how to play football and baseball mm-hmm. as like part of this um, mm. assimilation process. Uh, wow. So... Yeah, it would make sense that, that an Indian school here in Albuquerque would use baseball as a... Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Kind of makes me sad. Just it like is kind of <laughs> sad on that yeah. front. Yeah, yeah. it's kind of, yeah, like this, uh, being this, you know, vibrant sport being used as like a tool for colonization a little bit. You well, know? Uh, it, it happened for sure. Yeah. Oh, man. Wow, Jeez. what an interesting topic you write about. This yeah. is cool, man. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank I'm you. so happy There's you're here. There's a lot of different cool. facets of it. Yeah. Yeah, really, it's really... Interesting. So where do where do, where does it go from here? From that, like like. Uh, well, I I did I, I did mention the Maroons beforehand, and, yeah. and I, yeah. I said that we talk about them. So okay. I don't actually know much about them, right. except <laughs> that they existed in uh, 1891. They were apparently a, a second baseball team that was in Albuquerque at that time, and they actually became the uh, the champions of okay. the, the territory. Um, yeah. But they they seemed to fade out pretty quickly. Didn't that used to be an insult? Like what a maroon. Yeah, you're right. Like, I think that's just a <laughs> mispronunciation oh, okay. of moron, though. Moron. Um, <laughs> it's really okay. common at this uh. time to have numerous teams kind of pop up and go away. So they yeah. come and they go, and mm. they change. You know, they change and they compete against each other. Mm. And so, um, you know, as a as a point of reference in Washington D.C. Uh, in the 1870s, I, I counted up eight, 85 clubs mm. uh, in oh, the wow. city. So Albuquerque is obviously much smaller, but you know, probably he's got a handful of high-profile teams, and then some that are just right. coming and going. Interesting. Okay, so 1915 is when the uh, the first, this is actually the first professional baseball team in Albuquerque, a Class D Rio Grande Association, um, the Dukes. Okay. They first appear, and then they disappear pretty quickly. Huh. Um, I'm not sure exactly when they were gone. Dukes are um, leaving, leaving, not <laughs> swinging. Yeah, but they, they did <laughs> go. Uh, in 1932, the yeah. Albuquerque Dons <laughs> appeared. They they uh, became the Dons. Class D uh, league. People uh, named Don. No, Class D <laughs> team. <Yeah. laughs> well, it's Don. Right, right, right. right, right. Yeah. Don oh, Miguel oh, or something <laughs> like that. Um and that they played, uh, so that's 1937. They played at uh, Tingley Field, which at that point was known as um, Rio Grande Park, mm. Rio Grande Park. Mm. Um, then the St. Louis Cardinals, and then let's see, I'm trying to see. So the Cardinals played through 1941, disappeared. Take they take World War Two off, like many minor league clubs to yeah. them, but. Yeah. The Albuquerque Dukes reappear in 1942. Hmm. Uh, Class D West Texas New Mexico League um, apparently do pretty well, and then stop playing uh, in 1943. So hmm. they had one. That's like one season, right? That the that the Dukes managed to 
uh, survive. Then the, in 1956, they reappear. Huh. The Dukes again. So the Dukes are just Jeez. like appearing, disappearing, they appearing, can't quit disappearing. Albuquerque. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is a Class A Western League uh, huh. as a New York Giants affiliate. <laughs> it's funny how I'm looking at this article. Just uh, this is on uh, milb.com. Mm. Um, what is milb.com? Ma- uh, oh, some baseball league? minor league. Oh, okay. yeah. I'm not sure what oh. the acronym is. Minor oh. league baseball, right? Oh, but why cool. is it? Um, yeah. So I guess mi instead of m. I'm glad that people are obsessed with everything. So information. it's just all there. Yeah. How many times the phrase baseball returned to Albuquerque in 1942, 1956, 1960? The Dukes come back again. So when does it really? Yeah. Like is okay. So the Dukes that we know, as yeah. far as I can tell, really take shape in 1963. That's when okay. the Dukes form an association with the Los Angeles Dodgers, or mm. they film a, form a um, relationship. Yeah. Hmm. With the uh, Los Angeles Dodgers. Um, in 1969, they move from Tingley Field to the Albuquerque Sports Stadium, which hmm. is where uh, Isotopes uh, Field is today. Okay. Um. And that later became Duke Stadium, right? Yeah, yeah. I think they started being called Duke Stadium. Okay. Um, in 1972, they uh, they stopped being part of the Texas League. Um, you know, I'm just going to cut this part out because I've got suddenly confused by something I'm reading. Uh, <laughs> confusing. Uh, they come, they go. They don't they go. I'm just, let's just they say they're just with the they're just with the Dodgers and. It, it it something weird happens in 1972 that I don't really understand. Okay. Um, oh, the team started playing the AAA Pacific Coast League, which is the sure. best minor league yeah, right. te- uh, circuit at the time. So is this, is really? a, this is a big deal. Okay. This is a promotion. Huh. Okay, huh. and then that's the Dukes that we all pretty much grew up hmm. with at, at this point. Yeah. Um, and by we, I mean people who live in Albuquerque. I <laughs> did not grow up in Albuquerque at this time. Yeah. Uh, but but Mike <laughs> did. What do you remember about the oh, Dukes uh, as a as a youth? Well, my dad ran a small playground sales company at the time, so he would always buy like season pass books for the Dukes, like all the tickets ed- to give away. Okay. And so my friends and I, like if we ever wanted to go to a game, we always had tickets available, and we went to them all the time. I saw like most of a few seasons of the okay. of Dukes games and I loved them it was just like where you went to like you know check out the opposite sex and just like <laughs> you know uh, walk around and meet your friends and just kind of like have a degree of freedom that you don't always have when you're yeah. 15 or 16 or stuff. and yeah. the games were fun they were great and the stadium was unique. I mean, Ripley's Believe It or Not wrote about Duke Stadium once because they had a drive-in section that you could yeah. pull up to. Really? Yeah, the top. I've seen the, pictures. The Peter Pan family section. And it was not that great. It was just like a little grassy <laughs> air, a little area with some parking spots. And it was really tilted. And yeah, like, it had some elevation, right? So you yeah. could see over the... Yeah. yeah. It was kind of fun. I, we went up there a couple of times. But if you wanted to access concessions and things like that, it yeah. was impractical. Um, and then they would do fireworks nights and f- on the 4th of July mm-hmm. and stuff. And it would it ha- open up a grassy section on the side that I wish they just kept open all the time. It was nice. Yeah. Um, and it was just fun. It was a good time. And, and there were and, uh, sometimes uh, there pretty high-profile players oh, would yeah, come through. The, the right? Dodgers would, like, send some of their players out to play. Sometimes I remember seeing Daryl Strawberry play with them. And, no. um Oftentimes, it's a sort of a disciplinary action. Is it's that probably right? <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, or somebody gets hurt and they've got to they got to play a couple games that nobody's really watching oh, yeah. to see if they are kind of ready to go back up to the majors. So yeah, they right. come to Albuquerque. But it they, was a big deal when it happened. Yeah, we're really well, and they had the um, they had the three Martinez brothers come through: hmm. Pedro Martinez, 
Jesus and Ramon, and you know they yeah. go on to great success with the Dodgers, but they're these, you know, dominant pitchers who look like they're six five and weigh one hundred and twenty pounds. But um, you know they're in brothers, so kind of a kind of a great story. Cool. You know, that's yeah. cool. Okay. What, cool. Uh, Sometimes Pete Rose would show up at the games, the famous player. To and watch or to play? To, to watch, like in the audience. He was like an old guy at that point. Uh, and what one was time, he doing in Albuquerque? I don't know. That's a good question. Huh. And, uh, <laughs> um, Band from baseball. Wait, are you yeah, sure? He had some gambling. See, <laughs> See? the, no, the no, trend no. continues. There you go. Well, it, since this is ending with a misunderstanding, it, yeah, it doesn't oh. matter. But, but uh, the, uh, So one time we were at a game and my dad was there and he was like, that's Pete Rose over there. He's oh, like, you yeah. should go up and get him to sign the, that ball. I just, uh, not cop, but picked up a ball that had fallen near where we were fallen and totally ch- like knocked out a piece of the metal armrest oh. of a chair. Like I was like, man, that could have killed somebody over here. Um, but, uh, so I ran over to this guy and was like, can I please, uh, uh, get, get you to sign this? Sorry to bother you. And he's like, sure thing. And he signs it. And he's just some random guy. It was not <laughs> Pete Rose at all. It was like Bill Simmons. I wonder if he got that so a lot. Uh, it sounds like he was pretty uh, <laughs> eager to sign your ball. It was weird. So the uh, the Duke stayed in Albuquerque yeah. until uh, yeah. 2000, um, when it was announced uh, that they were being sold. Um, it's never been the same. To a guy called uh, no, sorry, Robert Lozanak um, owned them at the time. He had owned them since 1979. He uh, they, he didn't live in Albuquerque. He was an absentee owner. He sold the franchise to Marshall Glickman and Mike Higgins in Portland, Oregon. Uh, the team moved up there and became the Beavers. Okay. And Albuquerque no longer had a had a baseball team yeah. and for about three years there. Um, and not only that, uh, when a baseball team did return to Albuquerque, we were not allowed to use the, the name Dukes at that point. Yeah. Bummer. Um, Bummer. So name. instead, uh, there was a, uh, well... Contest. contest, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and the the name chosen by the internet was uh, the Isotopes, um, because of a Simpsons episode, a right? reference to a right. Simpsons episode. Uh, however, in the year 2017, I think you could argue that the Dukes are doing better than ever, despite not actually being a team that plays baseball. Nah. And that'll uh, that'll bring us into this little piece. It's an article yeah. by Ty. In 2000, Albuquerque's minor league baseball team, the Dukes, left our city and took their Conquistador logo with them. After nearly six decades of continuous play, the team that grew up with Albuquerque was done with us. Pulled out by an absentee owner after the city failed to meet his demands for a new stadium, and sent about as far away from the arid southwestern climate as you can get, to Portland, Oregon, where they would briefly wear the name Beavers. By 2017, however, the Duke himself is back, and seemingly more popular than ever. His grinning visage, black goatee, and friendly cartoon eyes peer out from beneath his requisite Spanish colonial helmet on baseball caps, jackets, decals, tattoos, and graffiti all over town. This despite the fact that the Duke's baseball team no longer exists at all. Even the Portland Beavers had failed by 2010. And Albuquerque's current team, the Isotopes, has been playing in their remodeled stadium for well over a decade. So what accounts for this latter-day resurgence of a non-functional baseball team? For some of those who wear his face, such as James Martinez, the Duke is all about nostalgia and connection to the city that the Isotopes have never been able to capitalize on. Uh-huh. You know, it has like a little Spaniard. It's cool. Most of the people here are Spanish. It's more like throwback, like 
If you know about the dudes, you're from here. You know, you're born uh, and raised right here. There's an undeniable like racial and cultural you know aspect the to the Duke's renaissance. Though Albuquerque has never been as fully in the grip of gentrifying forces as cities like San Francisco or Austin, it's not through want of trying. Particularly in the early 2000s, city leadership attempted to do its best to attract new businesses, new demographics, and more affluent citizens to the city. In one telling moment, Mayor Chavez decided that Albuquerque needed a new nickname. We call it the Q. It's our hip incarnation, one of his spokesmen announced in typically clueless PR speak. The reaction was swift. Albuquerque already had a nickname for one thing, Burke, pronounced with a rolling R as it had been for literally centuries. A backlash began immediately as Soy de Burke became a rallying cry and a t-shirt slogan among Albuquerque traditionalists. Fairly or not, the transition from the Albuquerque Dukes to the Isotopes and the newly remodeled stadium that held them got caught up in this struggle between new and old. If you like, then, the Isotopes are the baseball team equivalent of the Q, and the Dukes are the team of Burke. There's no denying that the name Dukes has deeper roots in the city's history. Albuquerque has long been known as the Duke City, a reference to its founding under the auspices of Spanish colonialism in 1706, as well as its being named for the Duke de Albuquerque. The benign conquistador mascot, dressed in pantaloons and all the regalia, is a representative of the Spanish colonists that many of Albuquerque's Hispanic citizens trace their ancestry to. Whereas the isotopes? Well, first of all, that's a reference to the Simpsons. In particular, an episode where Springfield's own baseball team is stolen by the conniving mayor of Albuquerque. And it seems like an appeal to the favorite show of the young tech sector entrepreneurs Albuquerque often dreams of luring to the city. After the fact, it has been applied to one of New Mexico's 20th century industries, that of nuclear defense, which itself is a marker of massive change that many of New Mexico's citizens felt left out of. So the Duke has transcended its origin as the mascot of a baseball team. But how did the brand itself get wrangled from the absentee owner? There are two men to thank for the Duke's latter-day resurgence, Fred Matusi and Steve Pomisiano. Matusi, whose Albuquerque history goes back to the 1890s, has long been involved in the Duke's fortunes. As a child, he would watch games from a strategically positioned tree near the field as he wasn't able to afford the 25-cent general admission fee. As an adult businessman, he served as an official Duke of Baseball back in the 70s, boosting the franchise. When the Dukes left Albuquerque, he, like many others in the city, took it hard. But unlike most, he decided to do something about it. Realizing that the team had essentially abandoned the Duke's intellectual property, he turned his efforts to salvaging it. Mm -hmm. He didn't use the Duke trademark from 2000 to 2003, okay. this abandonment of trademark. Attorney went in and saw that mm -hmm. and pursued the trademark. We obtained it in mm -hmm. 2005. So you can go in and claim right, right. In this trademark. Because so, 2005, so we That's have the brand now. Probably one of the hottest brands. You know, yeah. You know, the Yankees have been around for a few sure. years, but right now, I'll throw this figure out, just to, not to impress you, but to show you People like him and all mm -hmm. that, they have a love for our community right. and culture and tradition and history. And we have sold just a new era, 
about 57,000 hands, not just wow. for us, because we didn't... Joining forces with Steve Palmisano, video producer and editor who also saw the value in returning the Dukes to its hometown, they began selling hats with the familiar conquistador's face on them. The reaction in town was swift, and success was widespread. Hats flew off the shelves, followed by jerseys and any other merchandise with the Duke on it. In December of last year, they opened their own Duke's exclusive storefront on Carlisle and Lomas. Judging by the number of their products that you can see on clothing, bumper stickers, and hats, business is booming. But there is something of a dark side to the Duke's phenomenon that has risen up alongside its retail success. In 2012, articles in the Albuquerque Journal noted that the Duke was showing up as a gang sign in the prison system. An employee of Bernalillo County Juvenile Detention Facility anonymously told me that the Duke is in fact banned from the dress code there, as he is in many public schools. Rusty Rutherford, a social worker who works with gang members and at-risk youth in the Albuquerque area, doesn't think it's quite as simple as the Duke being a gang sign. Mexico Pride within the game, whether it's the yeah. okay. so like 505, right. a lot of schools will like stop letting kids wear anything that says 505, yeah. even though a lot of other people want to represent 505, right. yeah. um, same with the Duke, simple, you know, a lot of schools have, like, won't allow kids to wear that, uh, same with rosaries. You know, a religious thing. It's the Catholic game. I've heard of it. Yeah. yeah. Catholic rosaries. <laughs> Hardcore. Light yeah. you with a candle. Or Christ's blood all over you. Um, but yeah, schools will, like, that's a real tough line. Because they're right. trying to ban rosaries because they're gang-related. Yeah. But they're also very religious. So it's like, are you banning a religious symbol? Right. I asked Duke's store co-owner, Steve Palmisano, his opinion about the supposed criminal dimension to the Albuquerque team's mascot. For his part, Palmisano recognizes that the Duke may be acquiring a less-than-savory reputation in certain circles, but sees um, that you know, as a symptom you know, of its connection to Albuquerque pride. Uh, you know, people like to wear stuff that affiliates themselves with their hometown. Right. Uh, I've heard the same thing about the L.A logo instead of the LA Dodgers, it's called Lower Albuquerque. So, <laughs> you know, they will take anything, the isotopes I've seen, the, the Lobos, right. the same sort of thing, you and them, depending on which logo mm. it is that they're wearing, means that they're from this, this part of the South Valley, or okay. that part of the right. North Valley, or the thing with the Duke's uh, logo is that it's it's cultural, mm -hmm. um, it's historical, it's been around longer than most people, yeah. you know, in, right. in the city. So, I something? mean, this logo's been around since 72. The name has been, was first named in, uh, after, the, after the Duke City in 1915. Yeah, so, right. I don't know so how many old people there are. The gang thing is, um, our goal is to, to keep it as clean and, right. and bring it back mainstream as possible. That's why... You know, we open a store, it's baseball themed, and, mm -hmm. you know, we do have people that come in and, and say, it's not baseball anymore, it's it's a symbol of the city. Yeah. You know, and they right. move to Ohio, or they move to, you know, California, or whatever. Mm -hmm. This is, when they see that, that's home for them. Right. In the end, the Duke remains as multidimensional as Albuquerque itself, a cultural crossroads that often struggles to find its identity amid the good and bad of its reality. 
Perhaps this is, itself, key to the Duke's longevity. For over a century, the baseball team grew and changed along with the city it called home, becoming a sort of reflection of it. Now, the Duke, with his simple, friendly smile, has come to embody all the complexity of the city itself, its history, its people, and its problems. All right. Well, uh, Ryan Swanson, thank you so much for uh, sharing your uh, encyclopedic knowledge of uh, of the sport. Seriously, with us. Yeah. Will, you, will um, you be like our guest for relevant related sports. topics? Yeah, all our sports. Yeah, I can be a little bit of a sports yeah. expert. I'll learn about Albuquerque. Right, okay. Absolutely, it's been my pleasure. Uh, it's, it's been cool, great. Yeah, thank out. you. You're right. Thank you. So interesting to hear what you know. Okay. So finally, I I wanted to talk about the Duke mascot. Who, um, Mike, you remember in uh, seeing in person. Oh, yeah, yeah. Many so, times. So tell me, what, what did the Duke mascot look like when you were but a wee, a wee baseball-going lad? When I was but lad? a wee teen of yesteryear, <laughs> <laughs> if that is a phrase. <laughs> it's not. It's, uh, it should be. <laughs> um, uh, well, so when you went to the Duke's game, you know, it was exciting. The stadium was smaller than, than it is now, but, you know, of course you had people streaming in and, and uh, I remember being colorful. I think it was like painted outside, and um, and uh, you go in, you give them your ticket, and they tear it and whatever. And um, and the Duke was always kind of standing like when you first come into the stadium, and he was dressed like you know Coronado, basically. You, you could say he had like a plastic little conquistador helmet and a pretty shoddy outfit. I mean, we always thought he was like a pretty. Uh, inadequate mascot to put really? it nice. Well, I mean, he just was kind of cheesy. It was like you know, it was like, like you know, a high school drama class put the costume together or something like that. And but the thing that annoyed me was that he had uh, a leather baseball glove on, and it had a ball attached to the glove with an elastic band. Oh and yeah. And he would like fling it at you when you walked in and weren't Jeez. expecting it, and it would almost hit you in the face. <laughs> and uh, then he'd be like, "Hey, or whatever. And uh, <laughs> I don't know, he'd yell Sounds something terrifying. like, "Gotcha." <laughs> you know, and a little scary. watch out. And um, and we all kind of found him a little bit annoying, you know, yeah. my teen friends and I. Well, he and was the mascot for yeah. 15 years. Yeah, yeah, but he was a part of the games, and yeah. and you know, like we we liked him and on some level and joked about him and so on. But but uh, yeah, after, one day he just disappeared. Yeah, and we were like, what happened to the Duke? We never saw that guy well, let's, anymore. Uh, yeah, so what happened? Uh, first of all, what happened? All right, so let's just talk. This guy's named uh, Leroy Otero. Okay. And he was the Duke for 15 years, from uh, 1980 to 1995. Okay. Um, he got a scholarship to study at Highlands University. Uh, he was kind of like he was the first uh, member of the family to go to higher education, hmm. and um, he he was considered his brother Salo. Otero said he was the most gifted and talented of the hmm. five siblings. Um, and he uh, he became the Duke and apparently just absolutely loved it. It was like the highlight of his life. He did hmm. that crazy thing with the ball. And then he also performed magic tricks. Um, oh, man. So uh, Salo said being the Duke was an identity for him. If you ever went to the Duke's games and saw a bunch of kids in the stands, you'd think at first it was a fight. <laughs> It's very Albuquerque. But then you'd realize that it was the Duke, and he was handing out baseball cards and doing 
magic tricks. He had a brilliant mind, but unfortunately he got caught up with the wrong group of people and his addiction became an illness. Oh. Uh, in 1995, he was arrested uh, for possession of heroin. Mm. And it, uh, the word got out that he had a serious drug problem, which, um, you know, is not unusual uh, anywhere, really. But um, right. certainly in Albuquerque, you kind of feel here. like it's, yeah. it's pretty common. And uh, he was shut out. Management shut him out from working at the games anymore after that. Oh, he was man. no longer allowed That's to do sad. that. And apparently it was a huge blow to him. <sighs> and... Um, he uh, he checked into a he checked into a rehabilitation program in the hopes that he would be allowed to come back to the Dukes after mm-hmm. getting clean cleaned yeah. up, uh, but they did not allow him to come back. Wow. And after that, he apparently just sort of spiraled. That's kind of cruel. Yeah. No yeah. second chances. So he disappeared in uh, in 1997, and um, his his body was found. Um, he died of a heroin overdose. Uh, Man. Nobody knew who he was when they found him. He was he was found in the uh, the five. Let's see. It was found August eighteenth, slumped in a chair in a vacant building about fifteen miles west of Los Lunas. Hmm. Jeez, well, that's pretty, pretty uh, that's bleak. rural. Yeah. Um, he had been missing from his home uh, since August sixteenth, and he was not identified until April of nineteen ninety seven. Oh um, my god! Nobody knew who he was, and he was. Uh, you know, he he was um, an anonymous corpse for for mm. that amount of time, oh and man. then finally the uh, the word came out. So anyway, I thought that was just a an incredibly sad story, it and yeah. it, his his story ends right before the the Duke's ends. And um, you know, I don't yeah. I don't want to be too uh, drawing connections, but I think you know, dying of a drug overdose, yeah, um, and and before that being penalized for his addiction and what strikes me as, as a very cruel way especially Seriously. since he showed you know a willingness right. to try to get clean and right. everything it wasn't like they were like oh just take this you know time to get yourself together for 15 years he was a beloved mascot and then yeah. you know this uh, right, sickness yeah comes out and he's uh he's you know banned from his his beloved identity and that just just ruins and that seems like the kind of story that's probably been played out you know thousands and thousands of times in the in the streets of albuquerque with, with probably some strange yeah. details though yeah <laughs> he certainly. was a mascot dressed well, as a duke and, and yeah uh, that makes it very like oh man gives it a strange yeah. uh, sort of element can you it. even unpack the levels of colonization in that story he's dressed <laughs> as a duke being yeah. dealing with an addiction brought in by i mean like you know inequality and poverty and right. access to these horrible things and, and like, stigmatization uh, yeah, you know, totally something yeah. he was penalized for having a oh man for having the wrong kind of disease and um yeah and for not being mm-hmm. you know a wealthy yeah a wealthy white person is what i want to say here because yeah. i kind of feel like if you're a wealthy white person and yeah. you get arrested for heroin possession you know yeah. you might have a rough few years but you can come roaring back you know sure, like yeah. robert downey jr or who, sure, whoever yeah. right yeah. Yeah. um so it's a little 
bump along. The, I, to paraphrase the movie Ace in the Hole, a very cool noir film set in Albuquerque uh, and New Mexico in, I think, the 40s. Is that, mm-hmm. Does anyone know? Uh, even for Albuquerque, that is pretty Albuquerque. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that is sad. That's, oh, God. And his, and, I mean, uh, I have um, his niece in one of my classes, and mm. she talked about him. We were talking about our relationships to Albuquerque. And the way she talked about him was really nice to hear how positive he was and how artistic he was oh, and man. how involved and engaged he was. Interesting. And just that, you know, whenever she sees the Duke, she smiles because he's the basis for yeah, the, the, looks the just face like that is the yeah. Duke, right? Yeah, so, that's true, yeah. So she's, you know, yeah, she smiles when yeah. she... Yeah. So she says that he came first. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. Interesting. I can see that. Well, I must have known him then, or just known of him and seen him and briefly exchanged a couple words with him when he was kind of already in decline, when he was dealing with that stuff. And that makes sense. Because I remember him kind of just standing around and leaning yeah. against stuff and mm-hmm. just being like, what Having are you doing? a hard time. You know? Yeah. yeah. The Dukes always had weird personalities and stuff like that around. They had this other guy named Myron Noodleman who was like a Jerry Lewis impersonator. <laughs> and, oh man, I can't stand oh. Jerry when Lewis. I, I see, can't. I never... Uh, <laughs> I never saw a Duke's game oh, yeah. when I was here going oh. to UNM. I remember the ads and the alibi. They would oh, yeah. be like, the Dukes. And then underneath it would say, featuring Fat Elvis. Oh. You know, it was always <laughs> Fat Elvis was performing. <laughs> that sounds kind of fun. You so. probably heard the games, though, I imagine, from the stadium. That was oh, yeah, probably. Oh, yeah. Overwhelmed the UNM neighborhoods right. and stuff, yeah. as the isotopes do. I don't know. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Topes. This How was a good topes? episode, I thought. Yeah, the isotopes are okay. It's just not the same. I got to yeah. say, I enjoy going I to the isotopes. I love the isotopes. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a fun experience. Oh, really? I enjoy them. Well, it's expensive, cool. but it's so like you can buy the grass seats. Oh, that's Buy true. a hot dog. Yeah. Get a beer. You know, you say it's expensive, but it's not expensive to like an actual like, right. major league right. baseball team is crazy. You're right. And like Houston, like you couldn't even afford to go see an Astros game. Uh, um, okay, when, so what are, we're wrapping this up. Yeah. What are some books that people could read if they want to follow up on baseball in Albuquerque? I know we well, all there's a book at called stuff. Baseball in Albuquerque by oh. Gary Heron, who, uh, Gary. you know, if we touch on this subject again, we got to right. talk to Gary Heron. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I l- used him as well. What was the other one you mentioned? I, I actually don't know if the author is male or female, huh. but it's New Mexico baseball. Hmm. Miners, outlaws, Indians, and isotopes, hmm. 1880 to the present by L.M. Sutter. Cool, cool. L.M. Sutter. And I have not read this book, but it's by Toby Smith, who's a great New Mexico writer. I've really oh enjoyed yeah. a lot of his books Good before. Good guy, too. Um, oh, do you know? Have you met him? I've met him, yeah. Oh, sure. cool. He's a great guy. But his so. book is called Bush League Boys, The Post-War Legends of Baseball in the American Southwest, and uh, which I feel a little guilty about every time I see the title, because he asked me to review it for the Alibi once, and I was like, I'm not writing reviews right now, sorry. And, <laughs> and uh, also, I don't know anything about baseball, but... But I kind of wish I had now because this has been a really interesting topic. Hearing yeah. Ryan talk about this stuff, it's super I interesting. Know. I love. Yeah. You know, I'm not. I'm not a sports guy. Everything's interesting. But people who are passionate and knowledgeable, yeah. every time, yeah. I, I just get excited about what they're talking it's about. It's true. Even if I, I don't give a damn yeah. in my day-to-day life. Yeah. Seriously. And yeah. he had good human details, too, about like the misshapen, you yeah. know, like makeshift balls that they were using oh, at yeah. the time. And, and all the lack stuff. of gloves and just a branch. Oh, I know, like. yeah. <laughs> and a guy named Branch. <laughs> branch Ricky. So where are we going next? <laughs> um, well, let's see, we, we've talked about... Giants of local baseball, and the the giant legacy of the Duke. Um, I have an article about a man who claimed to find 
uh, the skeleton of like a 300 foot tall giant in the Sandias in wow. I believe the 1860s. Sounds so we could talk about that. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah I'm sure it's Let's true. Let's go into that. So that'll be fun. <laughs> <laughs> nice. He's probably the guy who shot the arrow. Yeah. <coughs> yeah. Hey, can I just give a little shout out? If any of you are employers looking to hire oh people, boy. I'm looking for a job right now. Yeah. So I have a master's degree in writing. I could totally use good full time employment. Hook me up. Oh, uh, and you know, you can also uh But I'll do anything, you whatever. Can just fund us a lot on our Patreon. Or just account. fund the Patreon to the so point we can, all we can do this for a full time. Speaking thing. of which I'd like to give a quick shout out to yeah. our sponsors. We've got Amy Nevitt, Julie Bannerman, Jim nice. Robillard, Noah Patterson, Sierra Nets, Alexandra Samoyoa. Uh, sorry, I, I'm trying to pronounce these right. It's just Christopher Suski, Farrell M. Smith, Amy Except. Gabe, Isaac Clark, Amy and Gabe. Roland cool. Pentilla, whom I recently saw a presentation uh, given by him on Little Beaver Town. It was awesome. Cool. And we are going to have him on the show sometime Yay. in the near future cool. to talk about Little Beaver Town. And what is Little Beaver Town? Tell our listeners real quick. It's a briefly. Uh, a short-lived uh, theme park in Albuquerque based on the Red Rider comic strips. Uh, the very same Red Rider, right. uh, of which um, a branded BB gun uh, was a pl- pivotal plot point in the mm-hmm. movie Christmas Story. That's so true. anyway, Albuquerque was home to the illustrator who uh, who created Red Rider, hmm. uh, at least part-time. And, um, and we had a theme park devoted yeah. to... Strangely enough, not Red Ryder himself, but his Indian sidekick, Little Beaver. So we're going to talk all about that. If all goes well, we're maybe even going to have uh, the man who, as a boy, portrayed Little Beaver himself what? at the theme what? park. What? Oh, we're going to have him in some sort of capacity. I, I don't know if he can make it to the to an actual recording, but we'll actually uh, we'll definitely have some sort of that interview. That is a random celebrity. I love it. I love I know, it. Too, <laughs> yeah. So it's great. Thank uh, you, guys. Thank you, everyone. Listening. Thanks fun. to Ryan Swanson. Yeah, yeah his, great uh, to have him. Brother, I really do brother of Ron, I assume. Sure, yeah. Um, and uh, what else? God, God bless you all. Play ball! Yeah.